I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi everyone, it's James here from the Champions of Happy. Thank you so much for everyone's love and likes on the birthday post. We are officially one years old now. Thank you so much to Ben and Mikey from Once Upon a Screen for being my guests on the previous episode to celebrate. I had a great time. Moving on to this week's episode, I am joined by Scott. Scott I knew from the London Gamers Chorus. He used to live in London and then he made the big leap of leaving his job, his life, his friends, everyone he knew to travel to a place he'd never been to before in Italy, bought a home and has made an entirely new life for himself and is slowly in his own way trying to make an impact on LGBTQ plus life out there, be it with travel, tourism, um, just blogging, podcasting. It's a really interesting story because I think it's something a lot of people wish they could do. I think Scott realises he's very in a very lucky position to do this, um, but it's very inspiring and it's like... I think what we adored like a stress-free life and he's still a very busy man and he's still got a lot going on but to drop everything make that massive leap go to a country you don't know especially when it's a language you don't know as well it's a it's it's very it's interesting and I I, I really wanted to get this down onto a podcast so we could really dig into his journey so um, here we are with the next episode with Scott uh, enjoy also if you are enjoying very quickly go to iTunes podcast uh, the Apple podcast app and give us a five star rating and a nice comment that way the podcast can continue to grow and we'll get more and more people listening and more involved in the conversation we're also on Instagram Twitter and Facebook but Honestly, Instagram is where it's really all at. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Scott. Hello. Hi, James. It's a pleasure to be here with you on Champions of Happiness. Thank you. Happy, how, how, happy yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so you, Scott, are currently in Italy. Whereabouts in Italy are you? I am, I am in Puglia, which is the heel of the boot of Italy. Just outside a city called Ostuni, for those who may know Puglia. Um, but if you don't know Puglia, it is very easy to find because, as I say, it is the sexy heel of the boot of Italy. Nice. I did have to quickly look it up on a map before we started. Okay. Like, oh, actually, I actually have don't no worry. idea where that is. Um, and I also thank you for pronouncing it Puglia. Am I saying it right now? Puglia. 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 Good. I yeah. was, wasn't entirely sure how to pronounce it. So we'll do a very brief introduction as to who you are before we dive properly in so you're scott sure. i know you from london when you used to sing in the london gamers chorus like i did that's right I do. indeed uh, i did many many years ago that's like forever ago now uh, and then you you were a big time hotshot lawyer man in the big city and oh, then one day remind me it's, it's a <laughs> lifetime ago and it really is a lifetime ago it feels such a such a long time ago a different life but yes i was then... i was a lawyer in the city in london and then one day you just decided to drop it all and just escape 
to Italy, like, and then live your dream life. That one day was Brexit. The Brexit oh. vote happened. And oh, I, didn't I remember walking. Yes, I remember walking to work in the morning and crying because I thought, oh, my goodness, this just doesn't feel like the place I want to live anymore. And um, it was Brexit that made me decide that I would pack up and leave the UK and move somewhere that allowed me still to enjoy the rest of Europe. Oh, I had no idea it was because of Brexit. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But had that been on the cards? Was that was the idea of moving somewhere on the cards anyway? Or N- not really. I had always thought that at the end of my working life, it might be nice to retire somewhere abroad or have the option of living abroad. And although retirement wasn't, you know, was still many many years away when Brexit happened, and it did make me think that maybe now is the time to do it. Maybe if I wait another 15 years, it will be much harder to move somewhere in Europe. And maybe the time is now. You are an olive farmer. You're a chorus founder. You've got your own website, got your own podcast. You're you're a very busy man. Just for fun, olive farmer, I would say, James, just for fun. We live in an olive grove, so we have to do something with our olive trees. We have over 40 olive trees. And (sighs) in a good year, we produce about 350 litres of olive oil, but it's not a commercial thing. We do it just for fun. We give our olive oil away to friends and to family. And sometimes I use it to fundraise for the choir, which, as you mentioned, I set up. It was one of the things I thought that I should do after I lived here for a few months because I realised that life for LGBT people here in Italy is still pretty tough, and especially here down in the south, away from the big city lights of Milan and Rome. Mm. And having had the experience of the choir in London, having had the experience of my management and diversity role, Um, at the law firm I worked for, I thought maybe with these few skills that I have, I should still do something. So one of them was to set up a choir, Puglia's first LGBT inclusive choir, which I did. Amazing. So we're going to get all, we're going to dive into all of that. But before we do, I want to start the podcast with a relatively new segment called Happy Moments. So this part of the podcast is where I ask my guests to share a story or a fact or a memory, which just is full of happiness and positive vibes to put out to the listeners. So Scott, can we please have your happy moment? Well, in truth, I think my happiest moment was when I had my civil partnership about 14 or 15 years ago. I did think about what my happy moment was, given that I've had this huge change of life and I'm much happier now than I ever was before. But I do think that I have to go back 14 or 15 years ago to when I had my civil partnership. And I think that was a truly, truly happy moment. So you've been together 14 years, is that right? Oh, 2006, I think it was we met and had our civil partnership in 2007, which was at a time that we couldn't have marriage. It was civil Mm. partnership, which I thought was the only thing. But of course, as soon as we could converse into marriage, we did converse into marriage, which I think we did around about 2016, I think it was. 2016, 17, that we were able to do that. Where did you have the uh, the partnership? This partnership, Islington, Islington Town Hall. Oh, was it a big there affair? Just, was there? Was there, a, was there no, a no, there were just train? the two of us, the two of us, and then um, our two witnesses. Because oh, there's a long story behind it, which was that we had planned to have our civil celebrate our civil partnership around about the time of my 40th birthday, which was a big 
bash in Paris. So the idea was that we would have our civil partnership and then we would celebrate it by announcing to our friends at my 40th birthday that we had had our civil partnership. But because of the timings and because Christoph, my husband, was away working in China at the time, we missed the cutoff point for the registration of you've got to give 14 days clear notice or something like that. We missed the cutoff point by one day. So we had to wait until he came back from China to book that. Anyway, it just meant that <laughs> we couldn't have it in time for my birthday. And having invited my friends over to Paris for my 40th birthday, I didn't then want three months later to invite them all down to London for mm. our civil partnership. But I didn't want to say to them, oh, we're having our civil partnership. You are invited, but you don't have to come because that sounds like you don't really want them to come. So we uh. decided we would not tell anyone about it and we would just do it. And we only told and asked our two witnesses to come and be there, which we did. And it was great because it meant there was no pressure. We didn't have to worry about how anyone else felt about the day, whether anyone else was having a happy time. It really meant that we just did it for ourselves. And James, that was the best thing about it, that we just did it for ourselves and had a much nicer day for it. Oh, sweet. How so your partner's from France. Uh, how did you guys meet? Yes. Um, we met on uh, a dating app. The official okay. story. The official story <laughs> is that is that we met. We met on a the, bar. Um, we, no, the official story is that we met on the um, what's that? The Eurostar, and a trip between somewhere between London and Paris. But the um, real story is we met in a dating app. Got you. Okay. Well, there's no shame in that. We met in a dating app. We met on the Thursday. We had our first date on the Thursday. We went to the theatre on Saturday night, and Christoph came home with me on the Saturday night. On the Sunday, he was leaving to go to Moscow to work. And I said to him on the Sunday night, when you come back from Moscow 10, 10 days later, why don't you move in? And so he did. And that was it. Wow. So within, so the, you... space of, of, within the space of a date and a second date, I then asked Christoph to move in. So you're pretty confident then that it, he was so. all, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'd had um, I'd had two long term relationships where I guess that I grew into myself and grew to know myself in terms of what I what was looking for myself, how I was as a person, and um, it probably made me a better person for it. So I did have a fair idea of what would work and what wouldn't work. So. Yeah, and here we are, some all these years later. Thank you for sharing your happy moment with it. That's that was lovely and sweet. And no um, so. I want to explore your journey from the get from the start to the end because I've been doing my research on you. I've been reading blogs, been reading posts, been reading your website, your Instagram, and I think I have a general good idea as to the flow of it. But for our listeners to understand your amazing journey, you're a hotshot lawyer. You're in the big city. You're a smoky town. It's it's not what it used to be, and you moved to Italy. This is a move I imagine a lot of people wish they could do. Just like drop the day job go to a European place and live the dream. Was it a tricky transition to get over there? Like, did you did you know where you wanted to go? How did you find the place? How did you know the, where the right spot was going to be for you guys? Yeah, explore, tell us no, the beginning. No, we, we, we didn't know where we wanted to go. It wasn't planned. We had heard of Puglia, but never had visited it. I had never once expected or thought that I would end up living in Italy. It was not on the cards. It was easy for me because I really did not enjoy my job. When you were mentioning there, James, that I was a city lawyer, I, started, I, I can still feel the stress 
and the stressful sweat come on. Um, uh. And I'm not sweating because of the heat here. And I should say it's 36 <laughs> degrees where we were an hour ahead of you. Um, uh. So it's, it's, it's coming up for 11 a.m. our time, but it's 36 degrees here in the shade. But it wasn't the heat that was making me sweat. It was the stress of thinking about my job in London. I didn't enjoy my job. I hadn't enjoyed my job for years. It was completely stressful. I had no life to myself. Mm. Anytime that I thought I was going to get a moment to myself, it ended up having to be rescheduled or cancelled. One of the last years I ended up working there, I was working on a project. And it really, it really just, it just took the rest of the energy and the rest of my life out of me. It wasn't that I was just working, you know, here and there. I was working 16, 18 hours a day, day after day. I was going home late at night. I was getting up. I wasn't sleeping because I was so stressed by this transaction. I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, I've got to do this. Oh, I haven't done that. Oh, what about this? And it just, and and I actually did become ill at one point with this. I I ended up having a seizure because I was so stressed by the whole thing. And I just thought, you know what? This is crazy. This is just, this is no life. This is no fun. And it's not worth anything. I had to respond 24 seven, you know, that kind of thing. So it it, it was just, it was crazy. And it just, you know, that, that year really, really made me think. And that was the year before Brexit happened. And then when the vote came and I was, as I say, walking to work that morning, I thought, you know what, this is just the perfect time and the perfect um, opportunity for me to, to leave this behind and just change my life and move on. So for me, mentally, it wasn't difficult to come back to your question. You know, mentally, mm. I was there. I was, it was a really easy move for me to make. For Christoph, it wasn't. Christoph loved living in London. He didn't want to leave London, but he supported me. So after about three weeks of talking, I was much more flexible about where we went. Christophe, as you say, is French, but he didn't want to move back to France. It's the last place he would have gone. I would have gone to France, but he didn't want to. So we talked about the places that might suit us both. And Italy, we decided, was a place that would suit us both. And Italy worked for Christophe also partly because his grandparents on his mum, on his father's side, were Italian. So actually, Christophe is fluent in Italian as well. So oh, super Italy helpful, made sense. Yeah, I spoke no Italian, but Christoph was fluent. So that Italy did make sense in that respect. The first opportunity we had to come to Italy, we visited Puglia and we just fell in love. We loved Puglia as soon as we got here, just because of the, the weather, the beaches, the climate, the food, the people. Um, so we came to scope it out with my one golden rule, which was, Whatever we do on this holiday, it's just to find out whether Puglia would work for us. And it's not to buy a house. <sighs> Needless to say, I came home with the holiday souvenir that, you know, everybody wants to have, which was a house in Italy. That's insane. So, um, so that was done. And um, then it was just kind of tying up all the loose ends in London and moving from London to Italy, which we did. So we came to Italy and we came to Puglia in October and we left London the following March. So October, November, December, January, February, March. So five months. So the Brexit vote, I think, was June. We came to visit Italy in October and we left London by the end of March. That's such a quick turnaround. How long have you been there for now? So it's over four years. So it was four years in March this year that we arrived. Um, so it would be five years next year. It's surrounded by little small towns, all of which are very, very pretty. Our biggest main city that people would probably have heard of is Ostuni. But otherwise, we're not far from... So we're, I'm about 15 minutes from Ostuni. 
um, about 45 minutes from Lecce, which is one of the large cities and the capital of Salento, which is the lower part of Puglia, and about, about an hour away from Bari, which is the regional capital of Puglia. So, so you make this move, you know no one there, you don't really know the area other than the lovely holiday you've had. When you get there, were there any moments and you're moving in and you're like, oh my God, what have I done? Where are we? No, James, no. You know what? Because I would never allow myself to think that. I'm the kind of person that never, you know, I, I, if I make a decision, I will never look backward and I won't allow myself to think about looking backward and whether I might regret it because there's no point in doing that. That gets you nowhere. So even if I did, or I might have been inclined to feel that way, I'd already made the decision that I would never think about it. Um, but in all honesty, all, all honesty, no, I didn't. Um, when I moved here, uh, first of all, there were a few things that I missed. I really missed the London Gay Men's Chorus. You know, I've been oh. a member, singing member for about 15 years, and I really missed singing with the choir and the guys of the chorus and just everything that it meant to be a member of the London Gay Men's Chorus. Um, and I suppose to a lesser extent, although it wasn't quite as important then because the food here is amazing and continues oh. to be amazing, and I love Italian food. But the one thing that Italy does not do very well culturally is it does not integrate foreign cuisine well. No. They usually always have pizza as well, because a lot of Italian people, even when they go to a restaurant with foreign cuisine, will still want to eat something that you know, has a semblance of Italian. Um, so they have pizzas as well as their own cuisine. And the dishes that they have tend not to be very, you know, um, far in the direction of authentic cuisine. So the spicy dishes are not very spicy at all. Uh. And they tend to be very ordinary and run of the mill. So not that fantastic. Although there are certain exceptions. We found a fantastic Japanese Japanese restaurant in Lecce, which is great. Um, so that was the other thing that I missed, um, although not immediately. It was it was other cuisines, um, Chinese food, Asian food, Thai food, um, Turkish food. Oh, my goodness. We lived in Green Lanes and you know, where there's yeah, Turkish, I mean, and a fantastic Turkish restaurant just about in every corner. And oh, I miss that. But um, you, know, you manage, you get by. And although I've become you know, very adaptable at cooking and turning some dishes into foreign dishes. The one thing that's extremely difficult, almost impossible to find here is coriander leaf. And without the coriander leaf, I really can't make an authentic Mexican dish. Mm. So that's the one thing that still defeats me. You're in Italy. You've settled into the house. Was it quite lonely? How did you, was it quite lonely when you first got there? How did you first integrate into the, the place you were? The thing that I found the hardest was not being able to communicate. So irrespective of whether that was socially with people or just going to the shops um, or going to the deli to buy food, I couldn't communicate. And what I hadn't bargained for was how difficult and frustrating it would be not even being able to go to the deli counter and order some cheese or order some um, cured meats. Because a lot of people, you know, and well, the first thing is, it is my golden rule not to have to rely on English because I think that it, there's nothing more rude than somebody who lives in another country and expects everyone else to speak their native language for them, i.e. there's no way I would expect Italian people to speak to me in English. Um, so because I spoke no Italian when I got here, I found that really, really difficult and really frustrating. And it used to make me quite angry. Um, and, I, you know, just angry with myself. And I hadn't bargained on how difficult it would be not being able to communicate but of course I studied not as much as I should have done but I did some studying and once I could say just a few things that really really boosted my confidence 
And I kind of reverted to my old confident self where even if I got it wrong, I would still go and I would try and I would manage. When I came here, I actually joined a local choir because there's a community centre in the little town near where we live. And they do amazing things. They actually have an organisation called the World Music Academy, which has the Pizzica School, which is Pizzica Music and Dancing. They also had a choir which sang regional uh, regional music music and dialect so I went there and I made a lot of friends even though I couldn't speak very well they were very very welcoming to me and again you know it's thanks to music it's thanks to the fact that I had this background of coming from a choir having sung with the London Gay Men's Chorus for 15 years that I could slot right in and even though I couldn't communicate I could still sing with this choir of people and they were very very friendly to me. On the language front did when you were learning and um, using it with, with the public and people was there did people did you find people appreciated the effort or did they just say no we can just talk English it's fine (laughs) um well the the young people and the my my friends from Barry who I did the choir with they preferred to speak in English because they wanted to improve their English so that was a big Uh, problem that I had I wanted to improve my Italian but they mm. wanted to improve their English so they preferred to speak in English which was much much easier for me and despite my best intentions I always lapsed into speaking into English anyway and whenever I wanted to have a sustained conversation or a conversation on a more complex level or a more involved conversation I would have to revert to English anyway because I couldn't have a deep conversation and I still can't have a deep conversation in Italian although now I understand better than I can speak Can you give me a so, little bit of Italian now? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, but um, well, first of all, can I tell you a funny story that I still yeah. highlights the problems that I still have with my language? So we have a, uh, I can never remember if it's a chiropractor or what's the other, uh, not, what's the other person that kind of manipulates? He, he's not a massage therapist, but he's across between a chiropractor or the chiropractor cracks your bones. But this is somebody that manipulate manipulates your muscles. Um, I can't remember what they're called. So it's it's like a chiropractor. What's he called? Uh, Anyway, um, once a month, I go and see the chiropractor. I want to say ortho. He's not an orthopedic. He's a ortho, ortho something. Anyway, we go and see the, let's just call him the chiropractor. He relax, you know, he he gives you the kind of massage, but it's more than a massage because it's manipulation. And, you know, I had a problem with my shoulder, which, you know, just evaporated away. I have problems with my, you know, it's just old age, James, but I have problems with my neck creaking and stuff like that. So going to him once a month is is amazing. And, you know, it's it's a lovely, lovely experience. So um, one day I wanted to tell him that my shoulders were aching. So the word for shoulders are spalle. Okay, spalle. However, there's another word which is pale. So spalle, pale, and pale actually means balls. Oh. So um, instead of telling him that my shoulders were aching, because I was like, oh, the one mistake that I must not make is this mistake. And I was so worked up about making this mistake, bearing in mind he's quite an attractive guy. Instead of telling him that my shoulders were aching, I told him that my balls were aching. And his response was drop your trousers. Well, I think he, he no, no, he realised, of course, it was a language problem. So mi fa male le mie le mie spalle instead of uh, mi fa male le mie pale. No, that's not the right. I said mi mi fa male le mie balle instead of mi fa pale instead of mi fa male mi mi fa whatever spalle. So anyway, <laughs> I think he he kind of giggled and um, well, he didn't giggle because he's you know. <laughs> 
Um, he's not the giggling type. But anyway, he, he knew that I didn't mean that my balls were aching and I needed him to, to do something about it. He knew that my shoulders were, you know, <laughs> I, I fortunately indicated to my shoulders as well. Oggi ci sono il sole, abbiamo la piscina e posso vedere i miei due gatti. Today the sun is shining, I can see my swimming pool and my two cats. And see two of my cats running around. Yeah. So, so that's just a little uh, bit. But yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm proud that I can speak a bit more than I did when I came. But it's still not, you know, it's still very slow. I can understand better than I can speak. So, but I get by. Nice. And that's the important thing. So you part of a local choir. You leave eventually to make your own choir in Barry. What choir? What what, what were they called? Tell us so, all about that. Ricky Tony. Ricky Tony. So this was Ricky Tony. So I knew that when we came to Italy, because I had taken part in one of the international choral festivals with the London Gimens Chorus in Dublin, and I met an Italian choir there from Bologna called Comos, who were Bologna, Italy's first gay choir. So I knew that there were gay choirs, there was a gay choir or some gay choirs in Italy when I moved here. So after thinking about maybe, you know, I could use some of my skills and maybe one of the things I should do is start a gay choir just to maybe because it might make a difference for some Italians and because it's such a lovely thing. Um, I thought, well, how do I go about it? Because I know nobody. And I thought, well, I do know people. I know the guys from Bologna. So I contacted the guys from Bologna and said, do you know anyone who is in Puglia who might be interested in starting a gay choir here? And they put me in touch with various people. Uh, some people were um, musical directors of other choirs in Italy who knew people. So I had four or five names and I contacted one person who was in Barry who wanted to start a choir. And after meeting a few times and after being invited to go to a meeting of the um, organization for the Italian LGBT choirs, which was called um, Chromatica. So it was the organization for Icori Arcobaleni for the Rainbow Choirs of Italy. We went there and we met with them all and they were very enthusiastic and very supportive of our project. So we decided that, yes, we, Michele and I, the guy that they put me in touch with from Barry, we decided driving back from Perugia, which is about six, I think 600 kilometres away, um, we decided that, yes, we would go for it. And we started talking about names for the choir. So because the choir was going to be from Barry, we thought, ah, I, I thought, ah, Barry Tony, Barry Tony. And uh. I thought Barry Tony is quite fun because, you know, it sounds like baritone. And I think it does mean baritone, the baritone voice. And because we're from Barry, it's Barry Tony, the Barry Tones. The Barry tones, the tones from Barry. So we thought that was great. And then we asked some of the girls about it. And because Italian has gender, and Barry Tony, Tony with an I, is the masculine form of Tony, of tone, rich, of, of tone, they said, well, actually, it's a bit too masculine. It's not very inclusive because it's a masculine word. So we kind of went back to the the drawing board. And then Michele came up with this idea, which was Ricky Tony. And Ricky Tony literally means rich tones. So we still have the same problem with Tony. It's masculine. However, the joy about Ricky Tony was that it was actually a play in words of an insult, of a, of a word that is used, of a derogatory term for gays here in Italian. Riccioni. Riccioni is, is, means like queer or faggot. Got you. So it's an insult. So a Riccioni, faggot. But we thought, you know, if we take back this word and change it slightly, you know, we take like a weapon, we take a bomb and we turn it into something beautiful, like a, 
a flower. Michele, who I started the choir with, is a poet. So he wrote all this stuff about taking this word ricchioni and changing it to ricchitoni. So it became the rich tones. And we took this weapon and we anti-weaponed it and made it into something beautiful, like a flower or a rose. So ricchitoni meant rich tones, but it was also playing the word for fag. And one of the things that made me laugh, i never forget that we were singing in Barry on World AIDS Day about three, four years ago. And we were singing on the steps of a church. And even with my limited understanding of Italian, we were holding these signs that said Ricchitoni. And some guys, some youths came by, you know, teenagers, late teen teenagers came by and they were laughing and they were like, and I heard them saying, oh, do you think they realize that their name sounds like fags? And, yeah. you know, that was the whole point. But you know, they weren't, you know, I don't think they understood. I don't think they, they looked at us and they saw us, but I don't think they realized that we were an LGBT choir. And that's why we had chosen the name Ricchitoni. And they just thought it was funny because it sounded like Ricchioni, which, of course, was the whole point. Um, so I sang with them for two years and they did reasonably well. But then we had the lockdown and Barry is at 110 kilometers from where I live. So when we had the lockdown, I realized that, you know what, I didn't miss the 110 kilometer trip there and 110 kilometer trip back, i.e. a 220 kilometer round trip twice a week for rehearsals. And then, you know, more often if we were doing a performance and I thought, you know what, it's just it's an awful long distance. Um, now it's an awful long distance and it's an awful long time to get there. So I decided after the first of Italy's lockdowns, that actually that was probably the time for leave the, for, for, for them to take the destiny of the choir into their own hands because it was meant to be, it was always intended as a project for Italians, not to be shaped about my thinking of what an LGBT choir should be um, mm. based on my experience, because my experience is a different experience from theirs. Our societies are different, just the way that we um, organize things, the way that we adapt to situations and the fights that we're fighting. You know, there are common themes, but, you know, theirs was you know, from a completely different angle. And so I just felt that was the time to leave it for, their, for them to shape the destiny of that choir. With the chorus, your choir, was it easy or difficult to find people to join or was that quite a um uh was it no it wasn't it wasn't so difficult people were quite um, keen. I mean, yeah how do you I find mean, people it is it is a strange there is a strange contradiction here in that far fewer people feel that they're able to be their authentic selves here without a doubt i do find that it's slightly generational as well but also you know generational in the sense of a much younger generation so what I find is that people who tend to be around about 27 upwards, 27, 35, mm. who, who may be gay, but don't like to identify as gay, really aren't able to live their authentic lives. And they, you know, I, I, you know, I, I know people who I believe are only interested in having sex with people of the same sex but they won't identify as being gay because it's still difficult for them to identify as being gay because of society um, and various other pressures however if you come down to the 18 19 20 year olds in my experience they seem to be much more accepting and much easier about it which is thoroughly encouraging i i was speaking to somebody I, I was speaking to him about you know how it was for him i think he's 23 i think he's just finished studying or was finishing university and i asked him how he identified and he said as gay and i said you know how was it was it difficult coming out to his parents and he came out when he was 16 years old um and i said was you know, how did your parents react and he said that his mother sent him to a therapist 
And I was like, oh. oh my gosh, I hope, I hope Ricardo, that wasn't because she wanted you to, she thought that this was just a phase you were going through. And he said, no, not at all. You know what? She sent me to a therapist because she wanted me to have no shame. She didn't oh, want me okay. to have any of that. And I was like, wow. And I said, Ricardo, it was not the answer I was expecting to hear, James. No. And when he told me this, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how supportive, you know, that is a complete surprise that I'm hearing this because it's the last thing I would have expected. And it's extremely progressive of your mother to have been thinking like that, that there was no question that it was about getting you to change your mind or to decide that, you know, you weren't here to get this, get it therapized, if that's the word, to get, the, get it out of you. Um, it was just to make sure that you felt comfortable about yourself and didn't feel any shame about yourself. And I do sense that there's a difference, you know, at that level of age. So the young 20-year-olds and the top half 20 year olds there's a very different way of thinking about it and i know from my own experience that the people 27 plus you know they, they just they're still unable to live their authentic lives but a lot of that you know the, the, there are societal and economic pressures here I mean, things here are so very different so one of my friends 29 years old and he still lives with his mother he and his older brother and his younger brother so there are three boys um, i think his younger his older brother is 35 his younger brother, 27, the three of them still stay at home with their, their mother. They struggle to find jobs. Um, without jobs, they can't afford homes. They mm. stay at home until they're much later. I mean, hardly any of the people that I know, the young people I know, have full-time jobs here, James. They just, mm. no, you know, there aren't the jobs for them. Um, and that is a really surprising and eye-opening thing. A lot of them do seasonal work, but it is very seasonal. And the consequences of that, I find, are that they tend to be a lot less mature than you know, people that I would come across in London, for example, because you know, guys your age, when you're in London, you know, and, and younger than you, you're much more independent. You know, you're accustomed to looking after yourself, to being responsible for your own budget, to being responsible for your accommodation, renting a home, renting an apartment, renting a room, whatever. But here, you know, 27, 28, 29, 30, they're still living at home. The mothers are still doing their washing, they're still doing their cooking. Um, at, you know, my, it was always strange that my 29-year-old friend said, oh, I have to be home because I have to be home for dinner or, no, I can't stay out tonight and party because, you know, I've got to be home because, you know, for whatever reason, but, you know, because his mother would expect him to be home, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, there is that, that, that element to it as well, that, you know, it's you know, because they can't live a truly independent life and they're still, you know, staying at home and tied to home sometimes that accounts for why they're also that they find it that little bit harder to be their authentic selves so at what point did the blog and the podcast come along and can you expand a bit more on those for us so this was my second project so i thought you know i'll have an lgb a project for italians that i might be able to use my diversity and inclusion management skills so that was the choir was for italians and i thought another project would be you know for people coming to Italy or a place like Puglia, where it's very easy to come here as a gay tourist and think, wow, it's a fantastic life. There are fantastic beaches. The beaches are full of hot guys. You know, the lifestyle is great without knowing that actually society, although you know, Puglia is a much more liberal place than a lot of Italy, um, but still it's harder to be openly gay here. And also we have a government that are not very gay friendly. Um, we have, you know, far right extremist parties that are very anti-gay, they're very anti-immigrant. And at the moment we're actually going through the process where the lower house has passed legislation, anti-discrimination legislation where homophobia 
and homophobia would be a hate crime. Um, and other things as well, you know, anti-disability, um, hate crime. Um, so it wasn't just homophobia, but it was giving much more, it was giving us much more equal rights. And that went through the first level of the parliament here, and it was up for debate in the Senate. And the far right have, you know, they blocked it, they blocked it. There have been so many arguments about it. It's taken over social media and it's become a real obsession. And one of the things that, one of the unfortunate consequences I found about that is that because this kind of anti-gay vibe has become such an obsession, such a focus of political discourse by those who are focused on being against it, the far right extreme parties that are against it, that it's actually kind of legitimized homophobic, it's, it's legitimized homophobic attacks, whether they're verbal or physical. Um, so that I, that's all by way of background of explaining. So I thought it might be useful to have this podcast, which might just start talking about how it actually is being LGBT in Puglia. So that if you're coming here on holiday and you want to know about the fantastic beaches to go to or the great restaurants to go and eat at or the destinations that you want to go and see, that we can just talk a little bit about LGBT life and, you know, maybe give some people food for thought that it's they may look on the face of it as ideal and a beautiful place to come, but you know there are still people struggling here on a daily basis in the LGBT community. So that was the idea behind that. And we started doing the podcast. And to publicize the podcast, we started doing an Instagram. And when I was doing the Instagram, I would post pictures of food or of you know fantastic scenery, and they would get five likes or 10 likes, not very much engagement or activity. But when I went to beaches and started taking pictures of my friends in the beaches, the five likes would become 500 likes. Strange that, isn't it? How that happens yeah. when you, well, so, people just like attracting yeah. people on Instagram. Yeah. And, and, and so then I would be, that would encourage me for more engagement and for building up more of a following on the Instagram account, which is Gay Puglia Podcast, by the way. I thought, well, we'll take more pictures of guys on the beach in their speedos, all with permission. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll ask one of my friends um, to uh, model for me, which I did to great success. And the 500 became 5,000 likes. And stuff <laughs> like. So then the Instagram, which was always meant to be, you know, I say like I'm a you know, Gay Puglia podcast, the big gay podcast from Puglia, champions of inclusivity and diversity. And I realized that it wasn't inclusive at all because all it was doing was catering to the gay male um, because it was hot guys and speedos, which was doing really well. So, um, so that went down one direction. So I started on Twitter, um, which I've become a lot more focused on because Twitter allows me to be a little bit more inclusive. And I talk about recipes, I talk about food, I talk about great scenery. And from time to time, you know, I'll still slip in pictures of, um, of Lewis and his speedos or whatever on the um, Twitter. But all that was then done to publicize the podcast. And to supplement the podcast, we started an online guide, which is gaypuliapodcast.com. And that's what took over. You know, so suddenly I became this portal that was writing about Puglia as a gay holiday destination. And I would write guides for all the cities. I'd write about all the best beaches. And the emails would come in saying, oh, I'm coming for two weeks. Where should I base myself? Do I need to hire a car? Which restaurants should I go and eat in? Which are the best beaches to go to? Which is the best club to go to? So it really, really took off. And about a couple of summers ago, I, I found that I was spending all of my time writing and responding to these people that were answering me all these questions. And then suddenly I thought, ah, remember that life that I used to have as a lawyer where I would give counsel and advice to clients 
Well, secretly, there must have been something that I quite enjoyed and liked about it, because now I'm giving counsel and advice to all these people who want to come to Puglia on holiday and telling them where the best places to go are. So I actually found that in a way I was kind of substituting my um, old life for what I was doing now, but of course, in a much more fun and pleasant way. And I was doing it for myself because it's a non-commercial site. It's just again, it's just for fun. Um, so and I've loved that. I've loved that. You know, I've now become because I've now been picked up by I, there was an article about the the podcast about the website in one of the Italian national newspapers last year because we ran a best of gay Puglia survey where we asked people who had visited to tell us what their favorite destination was, their favorite beach was, their favorite food was, et cetera, et cetera. And that was reasonably successful. And so it was covered in the national press. And then I was featured in a rather glossy lifestyle magazine about the podcast and the blog. And what I spoke about to them, it was all about the benefit of LGBT tourism to Puglia as a region, and especially post-COVID where Tourism is such an important part of the economy of our region, and it's taken a real battering, as it has in many other places and destinations around the world. Puglia, as well, is perfectly positioned because Puglia does have a reputation as being one of Europe's top gay destinations, both in terms of how gay influencers, gay travel influencers think about Puglia, and also in terms of the domestic market, because there was another survey done recently, not my own survey, but done by uh, an Italian gay travel blog where LGBT, Italy's LGBT community voted for the best summer destinations in Italy and they voted Puglia the best region, they voted Gallipoli which is probably the gayest, the gayest where the focus of gay summer life is in Puglia as the best destination and we had the top gay beach in Italy here in Puglia and we also had the fifth best gay beach in Italy so we had two of the top beaches including the best one the best destination and we were voted the best region so Puglia really has this reputation for being a top gay destination certainly Italy's top gay destination for Italians but also um, as a European destination so so it's kind of grown from that and it's become you know it's completely changed my life and although people don't recognize me because I do keep myself out of the well, Instagram I was say, I you're, we, we never see you we, we need to see well, you you see me you see me two or three times a year um, I, I usually make an appearance around about Christmas or New Year to give a Christmas message or a New Year message to all our followers. Um, and I think I did post a picture of myself with um, Lewis, who is the who has become known as the the guy in the white speedos. You need your own little photo shoot in the on the beach. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. If you could go back in time um, and talk to your former London-based self, who was going through the harder more stressful times at work what would you tell yourself okay well i hadn't you know i haven't i've never thought about this james so what would i think i would tell myself my my own my own reaction i'd tell myself it's not worth it all the stress is not worth it so you know even if somebody might expect me to say you know what it's worth it so that then you can have the life that i now have i wouldn't say that i would just say the stress that you are living now is not worth whatever it is um so um, I just, it, it would just focus on the stress. I think I would have to say, mm. you know, look at reevaluating your life. Um, what, what I now know is that I'm, I'm far less materialistic now than I used to be because I, you know, worked hard, but, you know, I was paid very well. And so, you know, I, th there was really nothing that I couldn't afford to do when I was living in London. Um, I don't work now. You know, I, I'm retired, but I'm not old 
excuse me, I'm not old enough to be retired. So actually, I'm not drawing a pension. So, um, so I, you know, I don't have a lot of, I, I don't have the same disposable income that I used to have because, you know, everything is planned and budgeted. And so I think that I would also say that, you know what, being so materialistic as I was when I lived in London isn't so important. And it's not, and I'm not nearly as materialistic and I'm a lot happier for it as well. Um, I'm a lot happier that I don't think to that I need to get the best Samsung TV or or whatever. I just I, you know things have to be. I've become so good at repairing things or you know doing makeovers and things so that they last longer. Um, food doesn't go to waste. You know, and just things that are good, things that feel more more wholesome. So you know things that before I would have just thrown away and bought a new one. I have to eke out their life to make them last longer. I have to repair things when I can. And so, you know, I've taught myself so many more skills about repairing things, about the plumbing systems here. So I don't have to pay for somebody to come and repair things. Um, although it's not hugely expensive and, you know, it's good for the local economy. Um, but I've, I've learned, you know, I've just, I've just, I've just completely reinvented myself, not just in terms of the work that I did versus the, in inverted commas, work that I do now, but also in terms of my attitude to life, my attitude towards being, materialistic and the other thing that i have to mention and you know those are those um of the guys who listen to this podcast that we both know who remember i have to say you know what james i drink a lot less than i did and this is something else that i realized about um london life that i had such a stressful job that without a doubt um you know i would come home um late at night and i'd open a bottle of wine um and, and that was a stress management tool drinking a bottle of wine but mm. it wasn't just that it was also that um, a lot of the socializing that was done at work revolved around alcohol. So over summer, we'd be having we'd be having barbecues on the roof terrace in that office um, three nights a week over summer. And you'd be, you know, you go up there at 8, 830, you'd start drinking your wine glass would be topped up all the time. And you come 1030, 11, you just, you know, you wouldn't have been paying attention to what you're drinking. You would have just and you would have just drunk too much. So that's that might be something else, James. I go back and say and, and say about you know just look at what you're drinking and really is it is it worth it and you know how much better you feel without it. Now I have a very a, a relatively stress free life. I can really look back and see the difference there, and see the things that were that weren't quite right at that time, even though I may not have known that they weren't right at that time. To ask the polar opposite question, where do you see yourself in the next five to ten years? What do you see yourself doing? Are you still in Puglia? what's changed what's the end goal i don't see anything changing i mean this is this is the end goal and it has to be um in terms of my financial and economic position now because you know we don't work and i'm not going to go and get a job somewhere else i'm still a number of years away from collecting my pension so um i don't I, I I don't see anything else happening because I don't see how it could happen, but I don't see the need for anything else to happen because I'm perfectly content here. I love my life life here. I love living in the countryside. I'm not bored living here. Um, you know, there's still enough to keep me busy with the with the website and everything else that goes around the Big Gay Podcast from Puglia. And one of the things that might change, one of the things that I might like to do at some point in the future, because so many people say to me, oh, well, you know, shouldn't you monetize it? Shouldn't you make it into something that could be a bit more commercial is that you know maybe if i have time and it would be if i have time because actually it's incredible how you know even though i don't work how much of my time is taken up doing what i do already um but maybe to 
do something a little bit more tours and maybe to organize some you know some gay tours gay travel well scott we are coming to the end of the podcast now um would you kindly share all your social media platforms oh yes so on instagram it is gay pulia podcast all one word on twitter it's gay pulia and the website is gaypuliapodcast.com thank you so, so much you've made me want a holiday so bad james i've told you i've told you that you're very welcome to come and visit <laughs> well the moment the airports and airplanes and amber but when it is but, all that but james, go away because I, I, I love showing people around you know now that i do this i love taking people and showing them around um so you you would be very very welcome thank you <laughs> okay. very much your story is no, james you're very welcome really inspiring it's you've done something i think a lot of people in the world aspire to do um so it's really interesting to hear your journey and especially the influence and impact you're having on the lgbtqi plus community out there um so it's, it's been also- a pleasure to hear all about it and i hope your italian your italy your your italian continues to improve it sounds like it's thank you james spero anche io. That means si. me too, I hope so. Si, si. is that Italian? No, that's not Italian. It's Italian. So you can say, ci vediamo, which is like, we'll see you later. Um, you can say, uh, ciao. Ciao, of course, ciao, which is like, bye. Um, or salve, which is more formal. But I, I would say, if it was for you, I would say, hey, ciao. Ciao a tutti. Right. It's like, well, bye. Ciao a tutti. Ciao a tutti. Ciao a tutti. Ciao. 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 